0: Thanks for joining us. We love getting to share the message of God's grace with the entire world. If his message has impacted your life, would you share your testimony with us by emailing it to stories at graceorlando.com. We love to hear what God is up to. You can also give in support of this ministry by going to our website and clicking on the give button at graceorlando.com. Thanks again. Uh, I, I can't go on without saying this. Thinking about the goodness of God, there's really nothing I'd rather think about, study, revel in understand then the goodness of God you know God and good go together Do you know the Anglo-Saxon word for good is God the Anglo-Saxon word for God is the good God is good all the way through he's good but that's not what I'm going to talk about today. I, I'm walking up here, I'm thinking, y'all don't know this, but Tyler, what are you doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> or what am I doing wrong? It's more like it. Um, y'all don't know this about me, probably, if you haven't been around for a long, long time, but I really have a strong gift of spiritual discernment. I mean, it's really, really strong. I can discern crowds. I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Walking up here, I knew what you were thinking. You're thinking, why do almost all old men wear khaki pants all the time? That's what you're thinking, isn't it? Well, let me give you the answer to that. We don't care. (laughs) It's handy. It's easy. We don't like going shopping, and we hate it less now than we did when we were young. We already got wives, most of us, so it doesn't matter what we look like. We already got (laughs) wives. We don't have to dress up. See, that's a great liberty of getting old. You just don't care as much. (laughs) Don't want to spend any time on it. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5, if you have them, or put it up here. Romans chapter 5. We're going to read just a, several verses here, and uh, then we're going to talk about it. Uh, actually, one of the reasons I'm doing this particular little study here is because there is more. I, I've, I've tried to think: is there more truth packed in any series of verses than the one you're going to see today? The only possible, maybe, maybe two or three. Ephesians chapter one. There's some amazing things in the first chapter of Ephesians, just unbelievable, uh, but I, man, I'm thinking that this has the most impactful uh, reality presented than any other passage of Scripture. Now, this is going to sound theological, what we're going to, write, what we're going to read. Romans does sound that way in most instances. The reason it sounds theological is because it is. And there is some, uh, you have to understand, the Apostle Paul was the first human being on planet Earth, other than Jesus, obviously. But the Apostle Paul is the first human being on planet Earth to understand and be able to teach the true gospel of grace. He saw it, God revealed it to him, God showed it to him, and he made some statements and teachings in what he wrote that no other human being has ever said. And this is one of them right here. That doesn't mean the other apostles and other writers of the New Testament didn't have great things to say, but they did not understand grace until they were confronted or taught it by Paul. The truth. Ask Peter when you meet him, when you meet the apostle Peter. (laughs) I want you to ask him. You got this from Paul, didn't you? He'll say, yes. Yes, I did. But I took the bit in my mouth and I ran with it when I heard it because it was the truth. So, anyway, it's gonna sound theological. Don't let that trip you up. Uh, I'm probably not gonna be able to explain it as well as some could, but I'll do my best to, to uh, teach it. However, you just have to ask for the Spirit of God to give you revelation about it, really. But as hard as it is to dig through the theological stuff in here, it's worth it because the end result of it is you get your life changed. So that's a good end game, isn't it? To get your life changed. That's what's going to happen if you realize what this says. All right, we're going to begin reading in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. Who's he talking about there? The one man... Where sin entered into the world and death through sin. Who's he talking about? Adam Adam, right? Adam. Yes. Adam. Adam. Death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. You get, you, you, you get that? Sin, even if you sin, it's not imputed to you as sin if there's no law. Make sense? All right. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. What happened when Moses came? What did he do? Law. Law. From Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's offense, who is the type of him who was to come. First Adam, second Adam. But the free gift is not like the transgression. Transgression. And boy, is it not. I want you to notice these terms the free gift, free gift, the free gift and the much mores in this, the free gift and the m- much mores. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam unto Moses, even those who had not sinned, life and since who was the uh, type of him to, who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. The gift is not like, the, like that. For on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Do you agree with that? You understand that that is a basic theology that through Adam's sin, sin was imparted, imputed, to everyone, right? Uh, No question, I don't know any, uh, hardly any, if any, evangelical or Protestant or other pastors that would say any different from that. So, for as through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, many would be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. That's the reason God gave the law. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That is, sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let me summarize that for you in one sentence. Mankind gained a whole lot more through Jesus than we lost in Adam. That's what it means. Whatever happened through Adam, Jesus fixed it forever. He changed it, and He fixed it. Through His sin, we all died. Through His obedience, we all are made alive. So it's one of the most amazing things, to especially to someone, the Roman Christians to whom he was writing, this would be absolutely, utterly mind-blowing to them. Because all they had ever known, all of their lives, and been taught over and over again, they're trying to believe, they're trying to understand, they do believe they're followers of Jesus and all this, That Paul comes and says, you're still missing some things. And one of the things that you're missing is that Jesus' work on the cross was finished and it undid and totally reversed everything that Adam did. So, there's some implications of that that sort of theology. Now, I want to focus on one verse here for a few moments. Verse 17. It says, For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. What a statement. Well, first of all, we get to reign in life. That's good news, isn't it? We get to reign in life. You ought to be a little more excited about that than you <laughs> appear to be. We get to reign in life. Now, here's, here's from my own past experiences and being around preachers, pastors, theologies for forever. I can tell you with confidence that most pastors, it's not their fault. They just don't know any better. It's, they haven't seen anything other than this. They haven't had revelation of this. They don't know. So they're doing the best they can. Almost all of them, I believe, have pure hearts and want the people to be blessed and do well and all of that. And yet there's a blind spot here that they can't see. Here's the way they would approach that verse. Okay, get excited. This is a good preaching point. We get to reign in life through Jesus. We get to reign. That sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, reigning in life is a lot better than being reigned on by life. Isn't that true? So we get to reign in life. I don't know all that that means, honestly. There's no great explanation of that. I don't think it's talking about external reigning, you know, being king and reigning like that kind of stuff. It means internal reigning. It means that there's a capacity, a quality of life that's available to us all that allows us to walk through life and have a sense of reigning over the circumstances of life. That's what it means, that there's a different source for us than there is for those who do not believe or understand it. So. We have the capacity to reign in life. That's what he said. And I believe in. I believe we do. Now, most of us think that's good news. And uh, here's, here's the way that it usually turns out. A pastor would say we can reign in life. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you the, the, the five, maybe ten, the ten ways that you, if you will do these ten things, you will reign in life. It's a matter of what you do. Maybe there's some things to believe along the way, but mostly it's doing these things. If you'll do, number one, uh, you know, repent of your sins and get clean before God and confess them all and get prayed up to date and all this stuff. And that you spend time in the Bible every day and that you pray every day and that you go to church every week and that you give every week and that you do the things that you do, the disciplines that you Witness to people, that you love people, that you work in the church, that you do, whatever. Whatever it is, the ten things. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you a special deal on a book today. (laughs) I just wrote one. It's the ten ways to reign in life. And every one of you need to read it. You really do. All of you really desperately need to read this book, and it'll be on sale today after church, uh, for I'm going to lower the price to 25 bucks, OK? And it's out there, and every one of you need to go get it. Number one, and you'll rain, you'll rain. And you think, I want to rain, so I want to do what everybody tells me. So I'm going to change the habits of my life, and I'm going to try hard, as hard as I possibly can to achieve this state of being that's all religion is never changes it always sounds the same pretty much nothing new in religious circles outside of a new list of things to do or don't do that's all there is but he says clearly we can reign in life through what receiving the abundance of grace and receiving the gift of righteousness I want you to notice it's receiving, it's gift, receiving gifts, gifts, receiving. Doesn't sound like that old stuff, does it? Doing, hoping, working, improving. No. See, the truth is, we don't reign in life through our performance. We reign in life through our position. It's not those who perform that reign in life it's those who receive you gotta learn to be a big open mouth receiver to the reality of grace don't resist any of it just receive the abundance of grace can I tell you that grace is abundant it's the most I believe abundant commodity in the universe outside of love God is love so God's Pretty good size, so everything is filled with that. But grace, it's abundant. Uh, Ephesians says that we're rich in grace. That throughout the endless ages, the Spirit will be teaching us the depths of grace. You want to know what you're going to be hearing and learning about? Grace. He's full of of grace and we beheld his glory the glory is the only begotten of the Father full of two things full of grace and full of truth And don't get misguided there, truth is not the mean side of God and grace is the nice side of God and they're always trying to balance themselves out that's the way a lot of people see it it's not true truth means real or reality, it means the way things really are that's what truth means. The way things really are is that God is full of grace. The truth about God is He's full of grace. It's abundant. He's full of it and anything that God is full of is, has to be one of the most commodious things that exists. He's full of grace. Don't doubt that. Don't ever doubt it. We don't reign in life through our performance. We reign in life through our position. And we try to get it right. We want to get it right. We want to reign, not only for our sakes, but for others and our families or whatever. We just can't quite get there because we're trying to do it through works. Instead of resting in the abundance of His grace, of receiving His grace. Galatians 5 4 says, You who would be justified by law have fallen from grace. It doesn't mean you've fallen from salvation or falling out of the uh, love of God. It just means grace is of no practical import in your life. It has no practical impact in your life if you seek to be justified by works or by the law. Now, here's a, a most important question for everyone. When I used to travel all the time, and churches everywhere, conferences and stuff like this uh, for years, here's a question that I would ask every crowd almost at some point in time uh, in in a series of messages or whatever I was doing. This would be a question I would ask them. I would ask them, okay, are Christians, believers, or believers under the law? Are Christian believers or believers under the jurisdiction of the Old Covenant law? Are they or are they not? The vast majority of people would sit there and just think about it. You think, well, I kind of think no, but then again, I think the law's never going to pass away. Jesus said it was holy. I'm not sure. I kind of believe that we're not, and I kind of believe we are. That's what most people would sit think. They'd tell me that. But can I tell you something? That's not true. Christians are not under the law. Believers are not under the jurisdiction of the old covenant law. It's passed away as far as you're concerned. It does not have any jurisdiction over your life at all. All of it. What am I talking about when I talk about law? And I'm talking about the law of Moses. I'm talking about the, Ten Commandments, the, the, the God-given law that God gave to Moses. And I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about uh, all of the other uh, moral laws. I'm talking about all the ceremonial laws. I mean, it's, there's a little disagreement about this, but most uh, scholars and people who have studied this will tell you that there's in the neighborhood of 613 laws in the Mosaic law. That's a load by itself. How would you even know them all? I mean, honestly. That's how ridiculous it gets to believe that you can keep the law and please God. God, never, never, God knew when he gave the law that people weren't going to keep the law. He knew that, did he not? Yes. That's the reason he instituted the priesthood and the sacrificial system. He knew they wouldn't keep the law. There had to be some recourse for them to stay in some kind of relationship with him, right? That's why he did what he did. He knew they weren't going to keep the law. He gave the law that sin might increase or the understanding or the knowledge of sin. And therefore, you would, you would come to understand that you can't keep the law and that you would turn to another source of life instead of law-keeping. So we're talking about that law, that, the old covenant Mosaic law. And he said, Hebrews talks about it all over the place. That we're not under the law. We're separated from the law. The law has passed away as far as we're concerned. The new has come. The old is gone. All of that kind of stuff is in the book of Hebrews too. We're not under the law. You've got to quit thinking like that. The law, the old covenant law, simply does not exist for you. And I can also tell you this. That... Spiritual adultery, so to speak, isn't living in the world while you're a believer. Or having, say, living in the world or seeing that as something that you shouldn't do. That, that's not what spiritual adultery is. Let me tell you what spiritual adultery is. It is depending on the law for your justification and righteousness. You just cheated on Jesus every time you do that, so to speak. Okay, now I want to read to you a passage scripture Christian from Romans chapter 7. We're just going to read uh, six verses in Romans 7. Look what he says. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. Obviously, the context of this, he's writing to the Romans, the Roman Christians, the Roman believers, and they understand the law down to their toenails. That's all they've ever known. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Don't you know that? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So he uses an illustration from the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant's uh, standards and teachings on marriage. This should not necessarily apply to a New Covenant's standards and teachings on marriage. There are some applica- some applications but you don't take this totally to apply to, to marriage in the New Covenant. Paul's using as illustration. That's what he, he's not really talking about marriage here, he's using it as illustration. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning her husband. So then if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. It's pretty tough. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that, he might bear, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death but now we have been released from the law having died to that which we were bound so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter hmm so what he's saying is this here's an illustration he says mankind was married to the law as far as our relationship with God is concerned you understand we were married to the law frankly it wasn't a very good marriage and it was not get at all. This husband of ours, the law, he has no capacity to love. He has no capacity for compassion, no capacity for kindness. He only can do this he can tell you where you're wrong every time you're wrong he can point it out he can also tell you what to do his whole existence is you do this you do this you do this you do this and you do this don't do this don't do this don't do this and don't do this now another infuriating thing about this husband is He really is always right. (laughs) I mean, I know how Martha must feel. (laughs) It's tough tough living with someone that's always right. You know they're right, and they know they're right. Another infuriating thing about him is he, he can tell you what's wrong, but he... And what's right. But he never lifts a finger to help you do that which is right. Matter of fact, he does not have the capacity to do that. He was not designed to do that. Now. This overbearing, fault-finding. And in almost every way, abusive husband. It is abuse to expect someone to do something that they cannot do. Can't do it. It's not that I don't want to. I actually do want to keep the law. But I can't. I can't. No one in history, if you think I can, well, good luck. No one, no human being in history has ever kept the law. Except Jesus. Now, this overbearing, fault finding, critical, abusive husband is never going to die. <laughs> Woohoo! Isn't that good news? And our union with him is until death do us part. And he's never going to die. Hmm. Whew. Okay, that's all I came to say. <laughs> I'm done. Sorry. That's the way it is. I know you're going to struggle. I know you're going to have lots of struggles. I know you're going to break your back trying to keep the law. I know you're going to do your best to do it. I know you're going to, you know, do whatever's necessary to do your best. I I realize that. I I bless you on your way. I do. I hope you attain it, but I know you won't. You're going to be miserable. I hope you're not, but I know you are. you're going, have a, you're going to end up being pretty hopeless. I wish that wasn't the case, but it's going to be. Uh, you, you're, not going to, you're not going to ever feel intimate with God. You're not going to have intimacy with Him as a father. It's not going to happen. But try hard. I mean, I, I want you to try hard. I think it's good for you to really try hard. But, uh, sorry. Sorry. That's the best I can do. So, stand to your feet, let me pray over you, and you can go home. I'm done. You want me to leave you there? No. All of a sudden, Paul turns this whole thing upside down. And not only did he turn it upside down in this instance, he turned everything upside down. He changed everything about the way human beings relate to God. You realize that, right? Everything changed with Jesus. Everything. Everything. So here, here's what Paul did. He kind of flipped it. He turned it around. He says, well, there is another way out of this relationship other than him dying. And you killing him. Laughter. There is another way out of this relationship. He's never going to die, but you can. And by this time, you're ready, aren't you? By this time, I I kind of got so disgusted with it all in my walk with God until I wanted to die. I see Christians all the time laboring under this. It breaks my heart. It really does. To fight a fight that can't win. To make an effort at a performance that they cannot succeed at. To try to be a good boy and a good girl for God and hope that somehow or other it scores some brownie points with him. I'm trying hard, God. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. I, I, I don't know how to try harder. I, I, I don't know how to pray harder. I don't know how to act better. I don't know how to get all this these feelings that I have out of my mind and so forth I, I realize this you know, in my book I talked about the great uh, theologian Simon and Garfunkel they, uh, <laughs> they wrote a song about this treadmill of life and that's what it's on that's, that's what happened like a rat in a maze the path before me lies and the pattern never changes until a rat dies and that's what's happened to a lot of Christians. They're in a the maze. They'll come to the, around the corner and think, oh, okay, this is the answer. This is the answer. I got some new uh, how to's. I got some new how to's on how to do this there's or some, there's some good pointers on this. And now I'm all excited and, and I can, you know, I can, I, maybe I can see the end of the tunnel. And, it ends to being a dead end and there's another one here and it's like being on a treadmill. It's just run yourself to death until you finally just give up and quit and or you get in pride and think you're doing better than everybody else and so you're all right. I have a, a Jewish friend that's uh, he's sorta of, he's a practicing Jew. It's not just a secular Jew, but so he does, you know, do some of the stuff but he's very selective on the stuff that he does, and I asked him one day, I said, Ed, how, how do you propose keeping the whole law when you don't even know all of it? I said, you don't know all of it? He says, no, I don't. I said, well, there's you know over 600 of them in there. He said, I don't know them all. He said, I don't worry about that. All I do is you know do my best and keep a few things and keep this and You know, figure, you know, in the end, God will see my effort and everything will be pretty good. That's not a way to live with God, folks. Huh? Huh? There is another way out of this relationship. You can die, and you did die when you were joined to Jesus. You know that, don't you? In chapter 6, it's coming up right here. It's very, very clear. You are buried with Christ through baptism of death. Like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And so you've been raised with him to newness of life. It says, if you were united in his death, then you will be united in his resurrection. You died to the law. You, you died. That's what you died to. You died to that system. You, you, you died to that, uh, that abusive, oppressive, awful system you died to the condemnation that it brings you, you died to all of that with Jesus and you're raised to a newness of life you died and were raised and the law has absolutely no jurisdiction over your life none You don't reign in life through your performance at law-keeping. You reign in life through receiving the abundance of grace and receiving the gift of righteousness. Now, here's what a lot of people do. Uh, a lot of people, uh, believers, are up and down in their emotionally about things concerning God. I know they are because I remember how it feels. They're, they're up one day or one week, you know, we, we had a great service on Sunday and I'm pumped up and I'm, I can, you know, I'm ready to, you know, take the world and I'm ready to change. I'm ready. I'm excited, all of that. And then, you know, Monday comes and you think, I messed up again. I, I was going to get up at five o'clock and pray and my alarm went off and I just shut it off and so we're up and down all across the chart emotionally about our relationship with God so we have to do things to stay charged up which don't help now, here's my, here's my observation of that. I don't think believers are so much up and down as they are moving from husband to husband. One day, we try to relate to God through grace, through His love, through His understanding. We have some measure of understanding, even back then, that God is our Father, and we're supposed to feel this stuff for Him, and He's supposed to feel things for us. We don't feel it much, and we feel estranged from Him all the time because we still have in, in our backs of our minds this nagging doubt that God really is angry. He really is upset most of the time with me because I don't do well. I'm just, I'm not not what I know I could be or should be. and, And so I don't think God really has that high an opinion of me in the back of my mind. I mean, maybe he does, hope he does, but probably he doesn't. So they relate to God through law keeping one day and grace one day. It's moving back and forth from one husband to the next. It's like, you know, trying to please my new husband by keeping a good relationship with the old one. I mean, try that out in the world and see how it works. <laughs> Doesn't work, does it? Never was intended to be that way. No. Christians are joined to Christ, we are in union with God. That's what he did. Now, our new husband has a different purpose for us. As a matter of fact, our new husband has power that the old one didn't. The law did not. The new one does. The old one had no power. The new one does. The old one had no power to impart life. No power to impart life. As a matter of fact, you could see him. uh, Pardon this, but it's the truth. He's like an impotent husband. He does not have the power to impart life. The new husband is quite different. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what he does do. He does impart life. He imparts power. He imparts understanding. He imparts faith. He imparts all of these things that make you have the capacity to be in, understand that you're in union with God, in relationship with God, and this love relationship that you have with God is going to continue for eternity. Jesus has the power to impart that sort of life into you. Because I know, I know that because it says that we, we were separated from the old, we're joined to the new, that we might bear fruit for God. That's what it says. That we might bear fruit for God. Jesus imparts the power and the capacity to us to bear fruit. You never bore fruit under the law. There wasn't a fruit-bearing standard there. Now, these kinds of things are born, the reality of our relationship with God, and the fruits that come through that are born through us. No effort is required. You rest and you receive. The ones who reign in life are good receivers, not good doers, not good performers. So, I want to challenge you to be a magnificent receiver of the reality of Of who God is. He'll change you from the inside out. Not from the outside in. Not enforcing things from the outside in. But there's a life-giving spirit within you. That releases fruit. So... that's pretty good news actually we've been released from the law verse 6 says that's a military term it means to be discharged you have been discharged fully and totally from the law from the jurisdiction of the law. When you're discharged from the army, they're done with you. You don't have to say yes, sir, anymore. You don't have to salute anymore. You're going to have a tendency to do that for a while because it's kind of inside of you. you know, this whole, but you'll find yourself more and more coming to understand the liberty and the freedom and the joy and the peace and the excitement, even, that a relationship with God should bring. Every one of us without limits. That's the way God intended for us to live. Free, full access to a loving Father who cares about you more than you care about yourself, loves you more than you love yourself, loves you more than you love your kids, loves you more than you love anything. He loves you more than anything. Always. Without qualification, without reservation. That will change your life. I told you, if you understand the reality of this, this theological stuff in here, and all that God did, it would change your life. Change mine. And changed a lot of yours, hasn't it? Yes. Yay. All right, stand up let me pray for you. And then we're going to worship a moment. Lord, thank you that uh, we're not under the law anymore. Thank you, Lord, that you fulfilled it. You didn't destroy it. You came to fulfill it, and you did fulfill the law in every instance. You fulfilled every undotted I, every uncrossed T for us. You fulfilled the law. What the law demanded, you gave. You gave your life as a ransom for us all, ransoming us from the death that the law inflicted on us all and that sin inflicted on us all. Thank you. I pray, Lord, for myself and for all these and others that are listening to this or will I pray, Lord, that you will expand our understanding and stretch our minds to be able to receive more of all that Jesus died to give. I pray for a sense of uh, victory because you said, Lord, we could reign in life through through Christ if we receive the abundance of grace and receive the gift of righteousness. That there's a measure of reigning there, Lord, that all of us desire and want. So I pray, Lord, that we'll be able to receive, process, and grow in your grace and your love. And I pray, Lord, that you'll paint a portrait one of these days as all of those who see the reality of grace uh, present to the world a portrait of God That the world has no idea about. Use us like that, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.